Today, we speak with Dr. Paul Theriou in Canada about the incredibly interesting work he is doing in the field of trituration. If you don't know what trituration is, don't worry, Paul will cover all of that today. And he'll also explain why it's important that as a profession, us homeopaths do more work in triturating past the traditional C3 and C4 to elicit an even deeper and more complex symptom picture to then help our patients on an even more profound level. He is also the author of several books, including Resurrection of the Vital Force, Blockages to Healing in Homeopathy. Be sure to check out his website at drpaultheriou.com. That's drpaultheriou.com. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Homeopathy Hangout, where we discuss all things homeopathy from around the world. And now my mum and your host, Eugenie Kruger. Hello, homies, and a very warm welcome to Homeopathy Hangouts. Today, we speak with Dr. Paul Terrio from Calgary. Welcome, Paul. Hi, thank you for having me. <laughs> I was tempted to accidentally slip in there from Edmonton, but <laughs> you were saying that there's a bit of a rivalry, rivalry there. I didn't know about that. <laughs> yes, there is. So I'm from Calgary. I love Edmonton, but I am not from Edmonton now. <laughs> So tell us, Paul, how were you first introduced to homeopathy? I was first introduced to homeopathy when I sought naturopathic treatment when I was doing my undergrad. And one my practitioner at the time, Tessam, was big into homeopathy. And then even more so when I was in naturopathic medical school. And I started with the basics there. And then I took some advanced training from Divya Chabra, who was offering it in Toronto at the time. And it was really good because Divya did these live, these recorded cases. And I'd always seen this state in like my friends. And she just, oh, I'm like, oh, that's what that is. Um, and then it just started making sense after that. And I started doing a lot of extracurricular training and so forth. That's amazing. So can you actually train to be a naturopathic doctor in Canada or do you need to do that in America? Oh, no, you got, we got formerly two, now one school that has two campuses. Oh, amazing. So uh, yes, we are able to train ourselves up to the doctoral level here. And we have the same training as that American level of naturopathic medicine and so forth. We share an accreditation agency and the standards. So it's like the North American model, but people only call it the American model because the Americans are just so dominant in everything. <laughs> but you know, Canadians use it too. Outside. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Quebec has its own word system. We don't have any of that in Australia. So I hopefully one day, I think that would be amazing to actually be able to see that over here. I have been so encouraging for the Australian naturopathic doctor or the NDs in Australia to start adopting the CNME standards and the licensing exams. Mm. And every time I do this, I get accused of all these horrible things. But I'm like, this, it has worked reasonably well mm. in North America for us. And, um, the concern that people have is that it's going to be, it's going to dilute the vitalism in Australia and that's happening anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. It's yeah. I'm, yeah. And just a little side note, as I was looking, because we're in a mutual professional homeopaths Facebook group and I was just looking through some of your old posts and you had one there on Divya Chabrad's butterfly remedy. Did you end up finding some good materia medica on that? Because I'm looking for some as well. No, still not. Because I have, no, a, I I have her butterfly remedy. I'm fascinated by them. 
Okay. I did not. I, now I have a book on insects yes. and that, and all of the butterflies are in it, but I couldn't find anything firm about Divya Chabra's or which butterfly in, in fact it was. Yeah. And if there's a, a thing I have with homeopaths, it's we tend to be very imprecise about our remedy sources. And I've done this in the past too. I'm going to take <laughs> something there, but like people will like prove the color purple instead uh-huh. of light, nanometer, whatever. We are very imprecise with a lot of things. And I'm just like, okay, we can't do this anymore. And butterfly was one of them. And I adore um... Divya greatly respect her like it at the same time like (laughs) yeah we want to be able to know where that information is i'm slightly obsessed with butterflies so i will very quickly move on from that otherwise this could turn into a butterfly podcast but you are the expert in triturations now this podcast is for mostly the general public loads of homeopaths listen to it over the world but i want to keep it enjoyable for the general public as well so can you tell us what the heck is a trituration So trituration is one of the ways in which homeopathic medicines are prepared. It's basically the process of grinding and scraping. Now, Hahnemann in the Organon, which is the founding text of homeopathy, stipulated that you need to triturate for three hours to do this. This really didn't get challenged for a couple hundred years. And then in the 1990s, a guy named Witold Erler started triturating more. And Witold was very sensitive, and he experienced the state of the remedies in a very succinct and clear form Mm -hmm. when he was triturating them. And then when he started doing four hours, it was actually a typo in a book he was reading, stipulated four instead Ah. of three, a fateful typo. Then he did the three, and he experienced the remedy, and then he did the fourth, and he's, oh, oh, I understand now. It it was outside of the state, and there was like a resolution. Uh And so we've gradually been, and he found that there was a, like when you made a remedy, when you potentize the remedy from that trituration powder, you'd get a remedy with different properties, quite often more powerful ones. And we've since developed this even further. Typically, if you do one to four uh, trituration hours, you you have a remedy that focuses on like an individual. Five to eight, you will have a remedy that will start to affect like around the individual, like particularly if there's a familial pattern that trace to a remedy, it will have a much greater effect if you give it in a remedy that's made from that fifth to the sixth or fifth, sixth, seventh or eighth triturations. Mm. It's the same thing. So from the ninth to the 12th, we see more planetary level ones. Wow. So if there's a planetary issue, and there are several, then you can, and you've got someone who's got a resonance to that, you can really take a big chunk of that out by doing a remedy made from the 12th trituration and so forth. And you can just keep going up and up that way. I think the maximum I did was I grind, I did my own blood for 36 hours. That was that, not all at once. You can take breaks, but it took me like a month to do that. But oh, wow. that is, you know, that those, you get nupped into some pretty high and mighty places when you do that. It's incredible. Yeah. Now, as I was reading through your website on some of the triturations you've done, I did see some up to C36, and I saw that there there were several days in between. Yeah, and that's just amazing. I've never seen anyone else in the homeopathic world do this. Elise Timmerman and Whittold would often take things up to five or eight or whatever, but I was the first person at least the first person that published that took them up to see a 12 and then eventually higher. And it was Kim Kalina who inspired me to do that. She got a downloaded a thing. It's like, I think this is for Paul. And it was great about le- levels beyond C12 and what they had this affinity to and everything. 
So yeah, that was, but I, I did it. Yeah. Kim got the insight to do. And my head is spinning. It's already so tricky with homeopathy with all the thousands of remedies and all the different potencies. So now mm-hmm. we're going to have all these deterations as well. So I think I saw you write somewhere 30C and then a six after that. So is that how we would differentiate the different triturations as the number uh, after? I think we need to do the slash and then the trituration number for every single potency. Oh, we should, hey. And especially like yeah. with the older remedies, which would all be like up to a three C mostly. It's hard. It's tricky with the older ones because some of the, like the plants, they wouldn't triturate them at all, which is probably why a lot of people didn't use plants as constitutional remedies versus, or very many, and then versus the minerals, which were all triturated. So it's hard with the older preparations, but we should clearly differentiate this. Yeah. Mm. And maybe we should just quickly for our listeners as well, say why you would triturate something versus not, because they might not know what other options there are. Oh, so historically they would they triturated insoluble substances that wouldn't dissolve in water when they were making the initial liquid to make the remedy from and but eventually Hahnemann switched from doing that to just triturating everything i think Hahnemann if he lived a little bit longer would have discovered what Whithold discovered 150 years later just he didn't mm. so i think he was getting on to that when he suspected that he needed to triturate everything but that's just an older edition of the organ on the fifth just uh, stipulated triturate if it's insoluble, don't triturate if it's soluble. And then that's where people came from, which I think does impact the quality of the remedy and how deeply it goes. And I've mm-hmm. read that you have described trituration as a cosmic event. Can you tell us a little bit? I think you alluded oh, yeah. it to well, before, but why would you call it a cosmic event? Because it affects things outside of yourself. You're moving through these kind of layers of consciousness with this substance, this consciousness of the remedy through these different layers. It is those traditional religious ecstasies or those journeys up to heaven, which many religious traditions have in various forms, whether you're climbing up the world tree or Yggdrasil or something, or you're going up Ezekiel's ladder or whatever. Most religious traditions will have a version of this, or you're going up and joining the Loa in a spirit journey or something like that. You're journeying up with the substance and learning from it and Mm -hmm. both you and the substance and kind of reality around you are transformed by that journey. That's absolutely beautiful. And Mm -hmm. what sort of remedies have you done? And do you usually do it by yourself? Do you do it in a group? I often do it in a group, but I often will do it by myself. I have done a lot of animals. Mm -hmm. I'm doing a lot of no-sodes right now. I'm doing a lot of there i'm working on my birds book right now so i'm doing a lot of birds that Khalia Kier just sent me a bunch of feathers and everything i'm like oh feathers i thought i was done <laughs> but i'm not so i'm adding a bunch of birds to the materia medica right now and mm. um yeah it's everything sometimes spirit remedies a lot of me and michael do a lot of plants together for her upcoming book on she calls them the primitive plants but the non-flowering plants so like mosses and ferns and gymnosperms and things like that Oh, and amazing. yeah, so I do a lot of everything. I haven't done as many minerals as other ones, but maybe one day I'll get to Our neighbor is a parrot breeder, so I might have to send you some feathers from the Australian parrots because <laughs> it doesn't sound like well, you're busy enough. <laughs> it's funny too. I've been so much, I've been like knocking down the doors of Australian and New Zealand homeopaths. I'm like, you guys have so much weird animals and plants and stuff down there. And the New Zealanders yeah. with their weird birds and almost none of them have been proven or potentized. I'm like, get on it. Chop, chop. Guys aren't keeping up here. (laughs) Absolutely. You sound like you're doing enough work for the rest of us to make up, to pick up our slack. (laughs) So why do you feel it's important that we go up high in these triturations? And do you think you'll go further than a 36? 
quite possibly. Things called me that high yet, but the times demand it. In vitalist medicine, which I would, you know, medicine that works with the human vital force, which I would include homeopathy as a part of, we are guilty of thinking small. We are guilty of focusing on the individual or the individual problem and not thinking about like the world around. This is not universally the case, like classical Chinese medicine thought large. They had mm. this correlation of their or their system with weather patterns and with society and everything else like that, which is very effective, which is all those correspondences are true. Those are those higher like C8 level or C12 levels of their substances and their problems. We just in Western vitalism typically don't do that. And I think mm -hmm. that is a mistake. I think we need to do that. And we do have this technology available now in triturations to have substances that have a more unique resonance to that. Mm, amazing. So I think the times and patients and issues demand it. Because I don't know what your practice is, but a lot of the things we're treating nowadays are not just diseases of individuals. They are diseases that everyone is going through at once at once, mm. whether it's an epidemic mm. or whether it is everyone getting terrified that the world is going to end or or yeah. government or everyone feeling like this reach of government tyranny or anything like that. Like we're all going through things together. These are not individual problems. Mm. These are individual manifestations of collective energies that we're all kind of processing through. Mm. And you kind of, I think, a slightly different way of preparing a remedy is more effective for those. Absolutely. That's just fascinating. I just, I'm really excited about the possibilities because yeah, I completely agree with what you're saying. Now I know some people can get really affected by the triturations and obviously that's the point because you, can you maybe talk to us about the experience of going through a trituration for yourself? What sort of things do you experience? And, and I know sometimes it can affect people quite profoundly and how often do those symptoms usually last? Do you ever have any issues getting rid of a symptom that you've had from a remedy? And what is the kind of spiritual process for you of going through a trituration? So I've done so many hundreds that basically I can just leave it in the bowl and I'll just tell the remedy like, all right, I'm done. You're in the bowl. You're staying there and everything. And then I'm me afterwards. I've been doing this so long that I can do that. The first ones, it was harder to do that. I ended up being in a state with the first couple of remedies, but then you just get over it. Yeah. No, I don't typically take some people, particularly if they don't do this a lot, will have those profound things. And I certainly did the first couple of remedies I did. But yeah, no, it's not something that affects me that profoundly anymore. What I experience is me, just me in a different state. Oh, here I am being this bird right now. Or I did Canada Goose a little while ago. Here I am being super aggressive and angry and like asserting myself. And then I just get into this. And eventually, if you do it enough, you just you learn how to feel and identify how you're different. And then you just write it down and then leave it in the bowl and it's done. That's incredible. And did you have a particular favorite remedy that you've done? Oh, I've had many favorite remedies. The first one I took up to C12, Rosa Acicularis, so the Alberta Wild Rose, was is something of a favorite of mine. But all the remedies, I'm, I have many that have been profoundly affected me. There typically are, like, there are remedies that, like, set the stage for work afterwards. And there's a few. Rosa Acicularis was one. Sarcodes Sanguinea was another. China and uh, Crataegus were others. Amazing. So just wondering, is there anything else that you want to tell us about triturations and yeah just what would you say to the homeopathic community who are maybe a little bit skeptical about these higher levels of triturations i would tell them to stop being wusses i would yeah no i'm like frig off like this is we cannot afford complacency what did hahnemann say any kind of failure to utilize the best i forget the exact quote from the organon but failure to be the best 
practitioner that you are is in Hahnemann's view in the Oregonon a crime. You mm-hmm. need to learn to utilize all these things. I don't understand where the skepticism comes from. I really don't other than just laziness or not wanting to do it mm-hmm. or anything. Some of it does come from the fact that pharmacies have not been good in providing these remedies. Mm-hmm. Like I've asked people to farm pr- some pharmacies to produce them for me. And they're like, we only do this for the way Hahnemann said so with three triturations. Like, mm-hmm. why can't you do four? They're like, we only do that the way Hahnemann did it. I'm like, <laughs> okay, fine, whatever. Um, <laughs> how about if I give you the trituration to make, will you do it then? No. And I'm just, anyway, I do not understand it. And I think it is not, I think that kind of just conservatism or laziness or whatever it is not becoming to any of us. I think we need to start utilizing this and recognizing these things when they are warranted and necessary and stepping out beyond what we are used to do. Because if we just kept doing what we always did, we wouldn't have homeopathy in the first place. That's absolutely true. And Hahnemann himself in his lifetime actually changed his mind and evolved and explored and experimented so much. So for us to Mm -hmm. think that just because he passed away, the work is done is actually just really childish. If he had lived another couple of hundred years, who knows where homeopathy would be right now? It would have continued to evolve. Absolutely. I joke about seventh edition homeopathy because the Organon went through six editions in Hahnemann's life. The seventh edition, I joke, is us as, as homeopaths using a range of potencies. Because not only is there trituration, but the different potency scales have different effects. Mm-hmm. I've identified five potency scales, one of which I don't actually know a lot of. But I've done little mini provings on myself, so I get the same remedy in each potency scale and everything. The C potencies really have this strong effect on the vitality, which is probably why I still gravitate towards them. Mm. ELMs have a very physiological effect. They'll stimulate or destimulate various physiological organs. The X potencies really have this cellular physiological effect mm. as well. They really are well suited towards being drainage remedies. So the mm. and um uh, there's another potency called a flexion potency, which Andre Sane writes about a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's very convenient. You can potentize up something if you don't have a higher potency in clinic lithity split. But they particularly have a lot to do with consciousness. There will be a huge, this is where I am. This is where I am evolving to and everything. And I just can't quite overcome it. And the interesting part is you can make an upflexion potency from a C potency, and then you'll get those two that kind of vitality plus that consciousness combined together. And then on top of that, you can also get triturations in there. So we have this huge spectrum of potencies and triturations and techniques that we can go from, and the pharmacies are freaking failing. So if there are any homeopathic pharmacists listening to the to me, y'all need to get your act together and start offering this <laughs> because I am really disappointed in almost all of you. <laughs> not that I don't respect the work that you're doing. You're not yeah. doing good work, but like you need to do this thing. And homeopaths need to start demanding these potencies and these mm-hmm. like additional things from people instead of... And it's Fibonacci as well, but really that's C potency still at the end of the day. Those are still C way. potencies. Mm-hmm. There are a particular way of doing C potency. So that's mm-hmm. Joe. Uh, I can never pronounce his last yeah, name. Rosen Joe, I think. <laughs> yeah, I'm very fond of Joe. He's reviewed all my books and he's been very kind to me and everything. And he's wonderfully helpful. Mm. But that's his work. And that's still within the C potency scale. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was very lucky to have him mentor me on some cases because yeah. he's in his, I was in New Zealand at that time and he is as well. Mm-hmm. And so it was wonderful working with him. That's from the pharmacist's point of view. The remedies are so cheap. So I can imagine it's not a very money generating exercise for them doing all these different potencies. But yeah, what, actually the demand needs to come from the homeopaths at the end of the day. Yeah. If they're the ones demanding it and promising that they will support it, I'm sure the pharmacies would follow suit. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to see how most remedy, most pharmacies, it's like you want four grams of this remedy in this potency. And I'd like to see a little thing, trituration as well. Yeah. I'd love to see how you want from the fifth trituration or the seventh or whatever. And maybe not everyone goes up to 36. Maybe mm-hmm. you have the option for four. And to be frank, I think most remedies should be made just default from the fourth trituration anyway, because there's a lot more resolution there. If you're going to just do that, pick from the kind of the fourth trituration or the eighth or the twelfth, because mm-hmm. there is at that fourth level, there's always a resolution. So that's what I would do. But, and I don't mean to be hard on the pharmacies. They have a hard job and they do a lot of work, <laughs> but they just need to step it up in this area. Yeah. And I feel also the energy of where our planet is at the moment, we probably need from that C4 onwards. Notice that that next level. I just really feel that, especially after COVID, everyone just needs that new little boost. Like so many people have opened their minds and so many people Mm -hmm. are seeing new possibilities for themselves. I actually think there's so much good that's come out of COVID. It actually gets me quite excited. So many people that never questioned anything before are suddenly questioning things and how can we do this better and how can we do it different? So. COVID is an interesting disease. So COVID is the kind of theory of, I'm going to call it vitalist immunology that I'm working on, is that in our healthy human state, not the state that we consider healthy, but true human health, we don't get infections. They're like energetically. And that if we have a chronic myas, that's how an infection gets into us. That it turns off a part of the functioning of our vital force. Mm-hmm. And then, then we become susceptible to infections. And miasms are, in my view, virtually universal you go through a healthy immune response towards a pathogen. And some viasms are so hard that we don't even really aren't able to do a healthy immune response at any, we are not able to do this. But if you are able to, you go through this complete cycle and the miasm is degraded a little bit and your vitality emerges a bit closer to that health. So this is not an endorsement to go and infect yourself with every infectious disease to do that. Go and catch, go throw out your tick socks and embrace Lyme or HIV or whatever. Don't do that. That's (laughs) not what I'm saying here. But if you can't, if you do become infected with something, an acute upper respiratory infection or some other infection, Going and managing it that way will, at least according to this theory, move you a bit closer to that. And we have engaged, we've just had a situation in on Earth where, I don't know, in Alberta, it's probably 80 to 90% of the population has had COVID infection by now, mm-hmm. particularly with, the B, with BA1 and 2 and 5 and so forth. We've all gone through this, at least to a certain extent, gotten rid of that miasm a little bit. And that miasm is really, it's... I, give miasms numbers, but we could also call it, if we were to use conventional terms, the malarial miasm. So it shares with a lot, it shares that with influenza and a lot of the other seasonal respiratory infections. And that one really is responsible for like law and order and justice and this whole thing in society. And a lot of what was keeping the institutions in place was that miasm. People just couldn't move past them and their viewpoint. And now we've cleared a lot of it and everyone's like, oh, well, this, in addition to seeing the ineffective nature of the responses during the pandemic, like we, we saw mm. conventional medicine not do a great job in terms of everything there. Yeah, no, we are moving past that. And a lot of that is a direct consequence of COVID. 
and just mass COVID infection. But again, I'm not encouraging anyone to go out and catch it or anything like that. Go out and take your precautions and do your thing. But this is how I see that working out. That's so interesting. Mm -hmm. Let's have a quick little break and then we'll be back. All righty. And we're back. Paul, one thing I found really interesting about you, because like I said, we've been in the same professional Facebook group for well over three years now. When COVID hit, a lot of homeopaths lost their minds a little bit and were like, actually, not not, not with COVID, it was actually when the vaccine was introduced. Mm. A lot of homeopaths got really freaked out and they were like, this is the first time we've had an mRNA vaccine. We're not sure that homeopathy can actually help anybody. This is beyond us. And you were this shining light and all the madness mm. saying, hey, guys, just Let's just take a breath here. We have a vital force. Homeopathy is really powerful. There are things that we can do to help people who have had the vaccine. Can you tell Uh our listeners why you were able to stay so positive when everyone else was losing their mind? (laughs) I'm a vitalist. I have (laughs) human vitality to overcome the challenges that it meets. Yeah, I know. And I do think the human vital force is stronger than everything that we've thrown at it so far there's most people are still alive i love homeopathy but there's some conspiracism and there's an overlap between the whole holistic health slash conspiracy worlds and i think we need to really kind not not that i'm against conspiracy theories because some of them are like there's they're a complex sociological phenomenon and i do think some of them are have some merit to them Mm -hmm. but that one in particular there's a lot of people in the holistic health world that are just like really using what's the term fear porn to really draw up their viewership and get clicks Mm. and likes and everything. And they were doing it up around the vaccine. I do feel that the vaccine can be very harmful for some people. Myself was one of them. I've developed a heart condition afterwards that I haven't quite been able to cure, but I've been able to significantly ameliorate by that because of homeopathy and everything. And I am confident that I'm going to fix it. But (laughs) it's really quite funny because I've had about five or six people who've had that same thing and I've been able to completely remove their symptoms and help them. It's just, I couldn't, can't do it for myself completely. Oh, it's and, always you know. the way though, isn't it? There's so many things that I have that I'm able to heal and everyone else, but then I'm still sitting yeah. with it. <laughs> so I've done a fair number of people who've had adverse reactions that stuck around and I've been able to fix them. And mm-hmm. I do think that the vital force just inherently is able to overcome challenges that it faces this way. So that is my viewpoint there. I, and I don't buy into that conspiracism of this. Yeah, I actually, in terms of my clinical experience, I actually find the viral vector vaccines to be worse. I found people had the most negative reactions to AstraZeneca and Johnson. mRNA vaccines were somewhere in the middle, but not a huge difference. And then the other ones I haven't had much experience with. So I don't think it was about the mRNA vaccine. I've also found it that people who've had long COVID actually have very similar side effects to the vaccine and they have similar, it like it affects them to a similarly deep level. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's actually the vaccine technology that's the issue. I think it is just the nature of the pathogen. COVID goes deep. There's some pathogens that just go super deep, super fast. The Lyme complex, like Borrelia burgdorferi and Anaplasma and Bicea and Bartonella and all that, they go deep into the body super fast. Syphilis does, mm-hmm. HIV does, and mm-hmm. COVID does as well. So I think the vaccines just reflect that more mildly for many individuals. So That's a really interesting concept because I have found it very interesting that... and. I don't know. Sorry, this is just off the bat. I didn't prepare you for this one. But what about transmission symptoms? Have you seen much effect of people who have been in touch with those who have had the vaccine? 
Yes, I have seen that. I do not buy the idea of shedding. I think that's another one of those conspiracy issues. But there are some people and they typically are very sensitive and they are in like if you have gone into the work of Jan Schulten or Michaelia here, they're in layer one or layer one or layer two. So magnolids, hemimelids in terms of Akira's work or the hydrogen series or the carbon series. Mm. These are people that are typically wide open to energetic impressions mm. and they can't filter them out. Yeah, You treat that they quite often will get a lot better. So mm -hmm. it is my opinion that these shedding symptoms are particularly in the context of the mRNA vaccines, which they mostly were just people, there's some kind of weird energetic thing mm -hmm. that happens when people get it. And some people are very sensitive to it. And it's mm -hmm. been turned into this whole shedding thing. Shedding does happen, but it typically happens with live viral vaccines, not the mRNA ones and not the protein vector vaccines. So it is a real phenomenon. I don't think it was a big deal with COVID. I think it's been something else. Yeah, no, I have found that to be a real phenomenon in not that many people, but there's some where it's just very clear. And then you treat it and you treat the person constitutionally and then they're fine. Are there any particular remedies that you have found helpful for people who have had the vaccine and have you used specific triturations for them? There are, it's really, there's a lot of, so when people do have them, typically I do a lot of, I do a lot of things. So I couldn't say that there's one particular remedy. Mm -hmm. I do typically use higher trituration remedies right now. So I remember most of the time when they're available or when I've made them, I will use a higher one. Yes, mm -hmm. but I couldn't mention any specific remedies. Okay. Now, you've written several books. I think, did you say you're busy on your ninth book at the moment or just yes. finished your... Oh, holy moly. Firstly, where do um, you find the time? <laughs> oh, I just do it while I'm watching Netflix at night. So I'll go home at night and I'll just be like watching Netflix or Disney Plus or whatever. And just like, do, 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 do. Oh, yeah, shoot that guy. Yeah, you kill that guy. You, <laughs> everything like, you know, don't watch violent shows or anything. I'll watch Star Trek or like <laughs> Andor or whatever's going on and write that down. Yeah, no, I think I've got a copy of my last book here, which was last year. This is The Mammals. Oh, beautiful. Extra oh, that's a thick one. Thick extra thick. It's 600 pages. So yeah, no, I'm, I just, I'm working on birds right now. I'm, I vaguely started a book on fungi, but I don't think that'll see the light of day for a while. And then I've got some no-sodes work that I'm doing with mm -hmm. Kate Birch and her group that I'm hoping to, and I'm hoping to get that vitalist um, immunology theory going out there as soon as I can, I've finished the trituration work to figure it out. So I've got a lot of books and I've system. I think I'm the person who systematized the animal remedies very well. Several people have tried. I'm going to say quite arrogantly, I think mine is best. You're but, allowed to um, say that. <laughs> thank you. Not that other people haven't done good work. I just, yeah. I think mine is better because quite simply, I, I triturated and I proved at least one member of every group that I wrote about. And sometimes mm -hmm. like with the mammals, there's 11 and then the birds, there's going to be 20 new remedies. So I'm like, you know, that's quite a lot of time spent in those kingdoms and everything. And mm -hmm. I find myself coming to different conclusions than many other people, but that kind of just gives me like, I'm not going with the pack there. Mm -hmm. Jan Schulten, for instance, thinks that the birds are silver series. And I don't actually, I think they're after gold. I put lanthanides after gold because just development wise, it seems mm -hmm. to work out a little bit better that way. And I put them in that same kind of after gold series thing. Mm -hmm. Mammals, I would identify with the gold series and with the asteroids in Michal Yakir's work. But birds are all about like fulfillment and personal fulfillment and finding your purpose and your destiny and getting whatever is in the way out of it so you can do that. And there's this connection to this very high, very eternal, very perfect energy that they're trying to embody. Mm. And that's really nice. And yeah, I'm really, I'm just finished the waterfowl and uh -huh. I'm going to start 
I got to do a finish up a couple of presentations, but when I got that, and then I'm going to start the land fowl. So like chickens and things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's going to be interesting. And do you yeah, think there's a reason that you've done like the animals and the birds and not the minerals as much? Do you find you resonate more with those remedies yourself? Oh, I do now. I like all the kingdoms, but I probably prescribe a little more animals, perhaps even more mm-hmm. that syndicated. And I've studied a lot with Michalia here, so I know how to do weird plants the other day. <laughs> I had one lady who did got a little bit better on rust talks the other day, and I actually had a talk with her, and she was really interesting. And ended up being that she was really mad that everyone was being disobedient to God. Like, this is just her thing. This is pissing her off so much. And then I gave her... A remedy I gave her olibanum sacrum, which I believe it's frankincense. I think frankincense. Yes, yeah. thank you. I, I forget <laughs> the common name and worked like a charm, and she's doing great. So I know how to prescribe like weird plant remedies, just because uh-huh. I've studied with cow so much. But I probably do prescribe them plants and animals mostly, and then minerals less. Although I still do. Uh-huh. So that's a funny remedy that one because I keep getting it coming up in my repetrization, oh. and uh, but I just don't feel comfortable prescribing it because it's not that much information that I've seen, but I have the remedy in stock. I'm just waiting to be brave enough to give it to somebody, but I keep seeing it coming up. You should read it. Here's the essence of this group of plants and here's the individual features of the remedy, which mm-hmm. is the approach I do. I take as well. Actually, so, one of our um, lovely staff, just we were just cleansing our clinic the other day and she used oh. the frankincense essential oil to do this Nordic oh. type, I don't know what you call it, like a thing, just protect energetically all the door, all the entrances in the building. Yeah, a and that's a sigil. Okay. I thought that was really interesting. And so I'm going to have to find out more about the remedy because it just keeps popping up and now you've mentioned it as well. Yeah. So one of your books, Resurrection of the Vital Force, Blockages oh, to Healing one, yes. in Homeopathy. <laughs> you still remember that one? I tend to, what is it? I'm like Edna from The Incredibles a lot. It's like, I tend not to focus on the past. It distracts <laughs> from the now. <laughs> and so I like, oh, I totally did that. Like, I'll read my book again. I'm like, wow, this is brilliant. Who wrote this? Oh, it was me. Oh, it must be downloads. Mm-hmm. Hey, like those <laughs> psychic downloads. So then you actually have memory loss afterwards of having done it. But what do you or think are some of the blockages? What's that? Particularly for, for that Resurrection. Mm. That, was, that was a very heady book. And what do you think, are, what would you say are some of the blockages and how it can affect our healing and our vital force? There are so many. Mm. So I've also, I did that book and I'm also studying human chemistry with Ton Jansen. Oh, so there, and I actually use, I use both of those methods at once. Mine is typically broader strokes. Mm. Mine will identify a class of blockages. And then sometimes you treat it with the remedies that I use and that'll work and they'll vanish. Hooray. Other times you need to use a more specific like human chemistry, like an isode or something like that. Both of those remedies, like I really think that those two methods can really reinforce each other and they really strengthen each other. So the blockages, I do not think I got all of the blockages in my book, but I got a lot of them. There is poorly resolved infections, chronic infections, this whole immunological thing that I'm ashamed to say I didn't quite get it when I wrote the book. So it's not clear in the book, but it's come clear to me Mm. since. Poor foods, like eating your food intolerance, electromagnetics, lack of earthing, chronic injuries. These things can all, and chemicals, And chemical toxicity, particularly when it imprints the vitality, these can all really strongly impact people's response to a remedy. I used to think a lot of the time when I gave a remedy and I didn't do anything, I just sucked. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's the case anymore. I think a lot of the time the remedy is good and either there's a blockage Mm -hmm. or 
alternately, there's something else. Sometimes it is not a remedy problem. Sometimes it's a biomechanical one, or sometimes it's a nutrition one, or the person has, I gave a person a really great remedy the other day and they didn't get any better. And then I started doing their biochemical profile and they were really deficient in a couple of nutrients, gave them those. And they're like, wow, there, mm. better, done and everything. So sometimes it's not a remedy problem. Mm, I completely agree. And it can be so hard sometimes finding out exactly what is that blockage, hey, because people wouldn't think to tell you that they live next to an area that's sprayed with glyphosate every week or that every, like all the, you would go into the foods, but it's you really sometimes have to dig to get mm -hmm. what we call the maintaining cause or what that blockage is or Somebody might have had several operations, but because it's might have been many years ago, so they don't think to mention that to you. And even if you ask, they don't always think to mention that to you because it's not something that affects them in their daily life. That's why those follow-ups, I mean, I keep harping on about those follow-ups are so important to mm -hmm. give us an opportunity to keep digging. Okay, what else is there? What else have you been exposed to? What other traumas are there? And what yeah. other things have happened to you that could be causing what's holding you back and why this good remedy isn't doing what it needs to do? Yeah. Part of my book, it does involve some physical exam to identify the types of blockages. And I'm continuing okay. to develop that. Although it's very funny. I talk about this with NDs and they're like, fine with it. I talk about it with homeopaths and I suggest, okay, you need to do, touch the patient this way and mm. do these reflexes. And they just get homeopaths generally have this freakity deakity thing about touching a patient and some places they're just not allowed to and mm. fine but in other places i just don't quite get it mm. same thing with psychologists actually too i've talked to psychologists and i'm like okay go take the pulse and take this reflex and it just does not compute in their brains versus me almost every patient i'm going up and doing their chapman reflexes and physically mm. examining them and doing kind of the osteopathic techniques i know to figure mm. out what's going on and it's okay the problem. Yeah, I know there's a physical exam component that I'm developing and I'm hoping to refine further. I just have other projects right now and I haven't quite pursued that. I'm super excited about that because yeah, it's that in itself is healing on so many levels. But you know what? Mm -hmm. The doctors in Australia are not even touching their patients anymore. Now I never go to the, what are they <laughs> go doing, to the doctor. I, they're just observing them from a distance and even the pediatricians, like it is, if you're going to specialist pediatrician appointment, they won't even touch the child. They just look from a distance and go, oh yeah, the child has issues with their adenoids and their tonsils. Let's get it out. Or you'll go to the doctor. They just don't touch people over here anymore. They just don't go and do that physical diagnostic. You're just sitting in a chair over the other side of the room and it's weird. It's very weird. I and if most people are doing telehealth. All, yeah. I try, I wish all the people listening to this could see the face I'm making right now. I'm like, <laughs> fuck that shit, man. That is bad. I don't it's do, so I, bad. do I do telehealth. Yeah. One month. You need to get to patients on the run or anything mm. else like that. I still do prefer seeing people physically in my practice because mm. you can examine them and you could touch them and I can mm. do my, like, I'm not quite at the level of a really good osteopathic doctor, but I've got the thinking fingers and you can put your hands in someone like, okay, this is a problem. That is a problem. Mm. The old DOs in the States could put their hands on someone and feel what their blood sugar was like down <sighs> to whatever after decades of practice. I can't do that, but I can put my hands down and like, all right, this liver is out, this everything else is out, and I can do my reflexes and get an idea of what's going on. Okay. So I do continue to do that, and I am not that embracing of telemedicine. I use it. It's yeah. important, but not quite to the level that like apparently pediatricians in Australia are using it, uh, and a lot, of, indeed, a lot of other practitioners are doing it. I only do telemed now. I'm like, mm. why? Very interesting. So, Paul, what's the last message that you want to leave our listeners with and regarding trituration or the work that you do? And um, just quickly tell them where they can get hold of you. The last message I would give people 
I would suggest that the world is a much vaster place than our narratives allow it to be. We've each got our own worldview and our own ideas on our own things. And if you're in a healthy state, these will often guide you in your exploration of the world. But if you're not, they can really restrict you quite a bit. I would suggest that everyone kind of start to become aware of their ideas that are restricting them and see if they can move past them a little bit. And the, how I do that is I triturate. I get into mm -hmm. the state of another being with different or another state than the one I'm in. And I go and I experience what life's like there and uh, with different restrictions. And then I start to degrade them after that. You, they just become less important when you've switched back and forth as much as you have. And yeah, that's what I would encourage people to do, however they choose to do that. That is a powerful message. I think all of us can actually just take a bit more time opening our minds and considering new possibilities and seeing things from a different point of view. I love that. And uh -huh. how can people get hold of you? It'll be in the show notes as well, but just for anyone that quickly wants to go hop on right now. I my website is drpaulterio.com. My books are published on lulu.com. So you can just look up my name there, or you can look up The Table of Animals, mm -hmm. Resurrection of the Vital Force. Those are the book titles. And uh, yeah, I'm on Facebook, but I use a different name than since mm -hmm. I had a patient that was stalking me. So I changed my <laughs> everything. And then, uh, yeah, I know. So I, and yeah, that's how you, and you, uh, my email is available as well if anyone wants to talk to me or anything like that. But and for yeah. anyone wondering how to spell Terio, it's T-H-E-R-I-A-U-L-T. Yes, it is. So, okay. Terio, like Ontario. Ontario. Like, it's French. The letter, the letter H is decorative. Excellent. Paul, mm -hmm. it was wonderful to chat with you. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you for having me.